0: Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR
1: and talent communities to you.
2: Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and in this episode, we're going to focus on lifelong professional development and DEI best practices. My guests this time are Terry Hartwell Easter and Susan Brooks from TH Easter Consulting LLC, a firm on a mission to offer informed solutions to the toughest human resource management challenges. Terry Hartwell Easter is the founder and principal of TH Easter Consulting. With over 30 years of experience, Terry was the first African African-American female chief operating officer of a top 100 national AM law legal practice and is a highly regarded organizational change strategist for leading utility companies, professional service firms, commercial banks and the White House. Terry's trademark is bringing new approaches and innovative thinking to some of the toughest human resource management challenges and most aggressive revenue enhancement goals. Susan Brooks is also a principal at TH Easter Consulting. She is a professional and management consultant with over 25 years experience in HR management, recruitment strategies and communications. Susan is a thought leader in the areas of diversity, equity and inclusion, leadership and training with articles appearing in publications such as the National Law Journal, Bloomberg, BNA, People and Strategy, Training Magazine and Law Practice Today. Terry and Susan, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the HR Chat Show today.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks, Phil. We're happy to be here.
2: Right, me too. I'm excited. Let's get going, shall we? Why don't, why don't you start by introducing yourselves? And listeners, I suggested a fun way of doing this before we hit record, you know. So what I'm going to invite you to do is, Terry, I'd like you to introduce Susan. And Susan, I'd like you to introduce Terry.
1: Okay. Well, I'll go first. Okay. So, um, So if it's possible to have a professional spouse, Susan would be it, because we've been working together for 23 years now, and we can finish each other's sentences. Um, Susan and I work together at a large D.C. law firm. Um, Susan is an attorney by training, um, but has spent most of her career in the area of professional recruitment and development of lawyers. Uh, And then and then I one day talked her into taking on a full charge HR role. So then she became an HR executive. And so um, I think I'm not sure that she really appreciated that change, but of course she did a great job at it. So what do you think, Susan?
0: I Well, I think that that's way overly generous and I still haven't decided whether I hold it against Terry that she put me in that HR <laughs> or whether she did me a huge favor. Um, I tend to think it's the latter uh, because here we are still together and still doing this work. Uh, Terry is, oh my goodness, If, if I could describe someone who can do absolutely anything, it is Terry. She started as an intern in the White House to building her own business. She's had multiple businesses. She does interior design, she does coaching, she does HR consulting, she has done logistics management, she has done build out. I mean, she can do it all. She is truly a jack of all trades. And what our clients find out very quickly is that they feel like they cannot live without her once they have gotten a taste of the th easter magic so i i could not be more thrilled that she considers me her professional spouse
1: <laughs> that's right well susan i forgot to tell them that you are a wonderful performer susan can sing so i don't have any of those oh talents
2: <laughs> okay okay I, I can see this uh this episode today going in a very different direction to what i was planning. <laughs> listeners uh, hr chats the musical we could do that
0: exactly uh, exactly <laughs> We told you, Bill, that we can talk and talk, so you're going to have to cut us off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. I'm going to cut you off then. And uh, okay. and uh, we're going to we're going to move into we're going to move into the next question. During our research for this interview, we learned that TH Easter Consulting was awarded the 2021 American Business Awards, Stevie, for its d Sustainability Framework. That's amazing. Congratulations. Can you tell us what it is and uh, what is special about it? Terry, would you like to go first?
1: Sure. Thanks, Bill. So the American Business Awards, I always liken them to the um, Oscars for acting and movies Um, and they recognize internationally organizations who have done great works. And um, there's a nomination process. I think, Susan, there were like thirty five hundred nominations when we were selected for the Gold Stevie. Um, I am really proud of that because, you know, while you think you're doing good work, it's nice when other people recognize it. So to be judged um, on an international basis for the, um, the basically our methodology, and I'm going to have Susan talk to you a little bit more about that. Um, it was just a wonderful honor. We um, started this practice around building better DE&I. We both saw that in organizations we worked in that there was an opportunity and we've brought just you know kind of technology best practices to it and and that has allowed us to help clients achieve sustainable results susan do you want to talk a little more about our our methodology I'd be happy to. So um, we really approach
0: DE&I as a business problem. Um, I think that that is the singularity of our approach, the uniqueness of our approach. We are not necessarily, although this is a wonderful byproduct, wanting to move hearts and minds, hearts and souls. um, We want to get people in the habit of doing things in an inclusive manner. And the way you do that is that you tackle the sources of bias that are built into your systems, your business systems, as opposed to kind of, well, I have unconscious bias. Well, I'm, when I say this to you, you take it this way and, and I didn't mean it that way. Those kinds of things. That's part of it. But, but the, but the nitty gritty for us is really attacking it at its root. And if we feel like it's almost like behavioral psychology, if you can get people to start doing it, they'll start believing it. So, um, so we kind of go in and say, let's take a look at what you do in HR. How do you recruit? What kinds of questions do you ask when you're interviewing people? When you onboard people, do you build in expectations that are realistic? Um, are you meeting people where they are in the way that you do things? Um, so, so it is really a systemic review and a systemic, I don't want to say overhaul because a lot of times people are doing some good things, but they're also doing things that they do not realize are getting in their own way. And certainly in their way of, of building more inclusive cultures.
2: Well, kinds of organizations took a step back in the wake of George Floyd's murder, of course, trying to understand whether and how racism and other isms exist in their workplaces. And I, I would, I'd also, um, push our listeners to to if they, if they haven't listened to it already check out episode 324 with erica broadwater who's the president over at the uh national association of african-americans in hr um, because we did a big deep dive into just this topic but i'd, I'd love to get your thoughts ladies in, in terms of what, what has been your experience of working with organizations to better understand whether and how isms exist and what to do about it susan would you like to go first
0: Yes, because Terry's pointing at me to go first. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that we found was, I think, a a galvanizing of sentiment around being more, around organizations being more attentive to the psychological damage, I guess, is one of the ways that I would put it, the psychological, rog- excuse me, the psychological damage to the workforce, especially the those people who people of color that are experiencing by virtue of those kinds of events happening. And how those none of us really can really separate ourselves, our professional selves from our personal selves when we come to work, when something so devastating has happened, and particularly the regularity of those kinds of things, that it just became like a beating drum. You couldn't turn around. And it happened again. Um, I think that it also um, expedited changes and demands that millennials were already making at work, um, and made them more urgent. Um, we had already experienced prior to um, prior to George Floyd certainly, and then all of the other events that preceded and succeed, succeeded that. Um, we had seen a lot of millennial um, discontent with kind of the status quo, discontent with respect to um, not attentive to work-life balance, wanting their work to have meaning, wanting to feel like they worked in a place that that cared about them and cared about their issues and 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 supported them. This this kind of galvanized that and put it on steroids. Um, it it just made people much more vocal. Um, It gave them, uh, I think they felt like they had more of a platform to speak out. And I think that it caught a lot of leaders flat-footed. And and so we got a lot of calls, um, as did a lot of DE&I consultants, uh, saying, you know, we have got a crisis on our hands. What do we do about it? And it has brought to the forefront all of the different ways that bias and And the status quo have contributed to a marginalizing of people who are different. People get othered um, without that necessarily being the intention. Um, And it happens in myriad ways. And I don't think that um, particularly the older among us, and I count myself as a baby boomer, so I'm one of those kind of old timers of the OG, I guess is what they call it. it, as one of those people who was not as as tuned in to all of the different ways that these things have an impact at a very deep level as I could have been. I mean, it's been an education for me certainly. And um, I think it continues to be a real education for leaders in organizations. Terry, would you, would you agree? Or I'm sure you have things to add. <laughs> totally
1: agree. I think the one thing that has um, come to light for me, and um, this is going to seem um like, like, a, you know, oh, gosh, why did it take you so long to get this perspective? But when we talk about workplace oppression or the isms, one of the things that happens is that if you are not in the group of the among those who are being othered, if you're not part of that group, you don't really even understand what that looks like. It doesn't have a face and a shape for you because you're not experiencing it. So I often find myself in conversations as an African-American woman with many of the male leaders that I work with, either in coaching or who are, you know, leaders of organizations. You know, one even said to me, you know, I don't even know what this white male privilege thing looks like. And, And, you know, I scratched my head a little bit and then I realized, you know what, because what I call white male privilege, he calls normal. Um, And from that perspective, it is hard to appreciate what is going on for other people who don't walk in your shoes. Um, And so I think, you know, when we talk about building greater empathy, we're not talking about sympathy, but we're talking about being able to put yourself in the shoes of other people. You know, I, I always challenge leaders, you know, when we want to look at the, syst- the systematic basis of isms and organizations, start taking a better look at who are the top five people on year to year when it comes to getting an, a merit increase? Who are the top five people you think of when it's time to send somebody out to speak on behalf of the organization? Who are the top five people that get the top raises, merit raises every year or bonuses? So when you start looking at that, you know, if you if you have a bell curve of representation in your organization, then you're going to be in a situation where you'll notice that, oh, it's the same people all the time. Is this the way a meritocracy works? And probably not. It probably has some bias embedded in it. And that's what, you know, when we talk about this oppression, it's just no matter what what you do, you're being denied the opportunity to fully enjoy the benefits that some others do. And
0: if I could just add to that, um Terry, uh, Terry has a great term and I, I think it's something that's that's somewhat known as it's the it's an emotional tax. Um, and that that emotional tax is something that people who are othered feel on a regular basis. You know, whether it is they are not recognized in a meeting, um, they're passed over for a promotion. Um, they are, they are experiencing what's happening in the world and that experience doesn't seem to be acknowledged in their workplace. So it's kind of an emotional tax and a real tax in that the emotional tax is kind of the psychological, the things it does to your psyche. The real tax is I'm not getting the raise. I'm not getting the promotion. You know, there, there's, it's got monetary consequences for people and their success.
2: Okay. Uh, Terry, just for you on this one, if you don't mind, as as a quick follow-up to what you were saying a moment ago, and and I'm going to challenge you to to answer in 60 seconds or less. What, Bill? (laughs) Don't do that to me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd just love to to hear from you briefly. Um, what, What advice would you offer to organizations that have not started a formal process yet or are maybe still thinking about one other than the fact that, you know, get with it, guys, hurry up. Why haven't you started yet?
1: The first thing I would do is to tell everybody to take a, to implement a uh, employee engagement survey. I think that is the very first thing anyone should do if they are concerned about what is going on in their organization. It's like a checkup. It's it's a check on organizational health, and I think that's the right starting place. The right starting place is not to get training because what do you, first of all, we cannot train people out of being biased or acting in discriminatory and prejudicial ways. We can't train them on that. But what we can do is understand the impact and then we can build more specific ways of developing people, whether that's through coaching or whether it's through classroom training and awareness building. Um, those are usually part of a program but they should not be the start of the program. They certainly shouldn't be the only thing that an employer does. It is just a waste of time and money.
2: And you did that in about 52 seconds, Terry, uh, winning. Listeners, this is Terry's first podcast and she is doing all right. Um, hey, Susan, one for you. The, the pandemic changed the way we work. Um, so teleworking, large numbers of women leaving the workplace, etc. cetera. As a result, the workforce seems to be demanding more from their employers. Um, So they want more pay, uh, they they want better hours. Uh, Many folk are uh, at least threatening to quit their jobs during this great recession, uh, so they can go off and find ones that offer more autonomy, better hours, et cetera. What are you seeing out there? Oh, and just to make it, um, just add a bit of equity here, I want you to answer that in 60 seconds or less as well, please.
0: Challenge accepted. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so we're seeing all of that. Um, uh, the great resignation, as you mentioned earlier, is indeed happening. Um, and I don't think anyone, what, what I see, and I think what most are seeing is that no one has really found their footing yet as to how to address this in a comprehensive way. Um, it is going to play out over the next year. I feel like we are at a huge inflection point in terms of our ways of working. Um, It's something that was introduced as a concept years ago before the pandemic ever happened, and the pandemic just sped it all up. And in some ways, that was a benefit because it didn't allow organizations to try to over-engineer what it was they were trying to do. They just had to adjust on the fly. And now they've learned a whole lot. You know, you learn that, that things can, to some extent, operate as they usually do, that people can be just as productive from home that the concerns people had about 100% telework perhaps were misplaced. However, that comes at a cost, and part of that cost is engagement and culture building. So when everybody is working at home, you do not have the same opportunities that you do when you're in the office to brainstorm, to network. To um to build relationships, to create the stickiness with an organization that leaders want to keep people there. So there are challenges really on both sides. My advice at this point is for organizations to be as flexible as they possibly can. Don't draw lines in the sand yet. We don't know. You know, see, see what you're doing, see what's working. Um, I think. Uh, referencing back to Terrier's earlier answer about professional services, that may be the area where it's the most challenging because people are really wedded to the idea that you have to be together to do well and succeed and move up and those kinds of things. Uh, jobs that are more task oriented through technology could probably more easily be converted to 100 percent remote working. But it's going to be a learning experience, a learning curve. It's still going on, and um, and it's it's going to be an evolution. It really, really is. Yeah, you- I,
2: I completely agree with you, Susan. I, I've, I've worked from home and worked remotely in different places for many, many, many years. Um, I didn't have grey hair when I started, probably. Um, <laughs> and, um, and 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 I'm fully aware of the benefits, but also I'm not so naive that I can't recognize some of the the things that you miss out on, and you know the, those things that you learn through osmosis when you're in the office um the camaraderie these are things that can't be replaced by technology i believe i I think we're getting better at it but if there's a way that you can mix it up where people can still get together even if it's only a couple of times a year i i I think that's really important for company culture for understanding the why of an organization and and ultimately for for working better with your with your colleagues but this is not the interview with bill no this is the interview with terry (laughs) and with susan so I'm going to stop giving my opinions. Hey, we're coming towards the end of this uh, interview already. Just a couple more questions for you. And I'll ask Terry to go first on this one because uh, Susan took the last one. Uh, speaking of tele- telework, Terry, and the hybrid workplace, what what are you seeing as the impact on organizations beyond what we've spoken about so far?
1: Um, I I think one of the things is um, you know for the last I don't know I'm going to say 20 years we've not invested a lot in in the formal development of managers and one of my worries is that most managers were probably managing by walking around and now they don't have that system um, and so I I think people have been struggling with how to manage a hybrid team. Um, And I think as, you know, people are back in the office, um, some are, they're coming in on different days, these, you know, under these new arrangements, I think that it's going to require more development of managers and their just managerial style and approach. And also systems for, you know, um, delegating work and for managing work productivity that are not based on looking at people sitting in their chair, which is really not necessarily effective, even in the workplace, because you don't know what I'm doing. But the idea that we're more results oriented, um, or focused on accountabilities and commitment, those kinds of things. But I think that managers need some help in in building their own know how around how to do that.
2: Hey, it would be remiss of me, c- considering I've got two legal eagles on, on the call on the call today with me. Uh, just to ask you a quick question, and this can be a yes or no Answer, if you like, or it could be yes because or no because. But in your opinion, I'd just love to get your your take on this: mandated vaccines to be able to re-enter the workplace? Yes or no?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, I public would, health. Public health that. trumps all.
1: Yes,
2: yep. I agree. I, I try not to share my opinions too much on the show, but uh, when it <laughs> comes to this, I 100 percent support that. Absolutely.
1: Um, I'm I'm really sorry. I mean, I just. I mean, you know, and it's interesting because the work you know, I think back to when we um, we've had problems in the workplace around smoking. I mean, the rule was always, you know, in favor of the non-smoker. Um, and when we had, you know, and then there've been problems about, you know, as we've gotten more educated around environmental hazards, you know, the wearing of scents and some of those things have become problems in the workplace. And again, those are generally solved in favor of the person who is not creating the offensive behavior. And so there is no reason why we ought to be thinking any differently about COVID, which unlike those other two, although I think secondhand smoke can kill you, but um, COVID certainly can kill you. And we should not be playing around that. That is not liability that employers should be taking on. And they they should have the the regulatory protection to keep the workplace safe. I know I don't wanna come to my workplace and not know that the guy or girl sitting next to me is not vaccinated or has been out with a whole host of other folks who aren't. And therefore, even if they're not sick, that they might be carriers.
2: Okay, um, before we before we wrap up for today, ladies, how can our listeners connect with you? So maybe you're super cool and you're on TikTok or maybe you want to tell them about your LinkedIn or email. And also how can they learn more about what's happening over at TH Easter Consulting?
0: Well, I would first send them to our website, which is THEasterConsulting.com. Um, we are on LinkedIn, all of us individually, but the easiest way to connect with us, I think is through our website. Terry, would you agree? Totally.
1: Yeah, come to our website.
2: Perfect. And there'll be links to your website and uh, your LinkedIn profiles and various other things, I'm sure, within the show notes. Uh, That just leads me to say for today, Terry and Susan, I've really enjoyed this conversation. You're both awesome. I'd love to do it again soon. But for now, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show.
1: Thanks so much. It was great. It was great, Bill. Thank you. And this was my first time, so you made it really comfortable. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you. And, And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working.